so long I had searched for life's meaning enslaved by the world and my greed then the door of the prison was opened by love for the ransom was paid I was free fear of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of the past. For I've traded my shackles for a glorious song. I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. From that whole empty life, I'm set free. For when I met Jesus, he made me complete. He forgot the foolish man I used to be. I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I'm of the past for I've traded my shackles for a glorious song I'm free praise the Lord free at last I'm free from the fear of tomorrow I'm free from the guilt of the Traded my shackles for a glorious song. I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. Man, aren't you glad you're free at last? Amen from the sin. Man, that's good. That's some good stuff right there. Well, Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 today. <clears throat> I've got a question, and then we're going to look at our verse and just kind of, kind of run through here, um, make a couple of, uh, use a few examples, I should say, and, and then kind of just make a few statements, and we'll go from there. But real basic today, nothing real complicated real simple, but yet I think it's extremely important. And so the question is this, do we allow culture to define right and wrong and good and evil? Do we allow the culture to define right or wrong and good and evil? Do we do that? And I know the knee-jerk reaction in the crowd, I'm sure, is, well, absolutely not. There's no way. Can I say that I'm concerned, however, that we are permitting it in some way or another? I want to talk about this just a little bit today, and I want to give you some examples of what's been transpiring maybe in our world a little bit, and then kind of note that how important it is that we are not only hesitant, but resistant to this change. 
So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll read chapter 5, verse 20, and we'll move right along today. Father, I pray you'd bless the message. May you meet the need in each life. Again, we are thankful for these that have gathered. Lord, you said that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Thank you for that. We're glad that you give us this direction and leadership. Lord, as we see the day approaching, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, things are only going to, Father, turn and twist like always, but it may even grow darker and darker along the way from what we can tell in the scriptures. But Lord, what we do need more than anything is to fellowship, to be together, to worship you as a, as a body, as a family. We thank you for bringing us together today to do just that. And we're glad that we have the liberty to gather and to proclaim the truth of God without fear of being cast into prison like they did in the early church. We ask that you would once again meet our needs today. Lord, help us to recognize and realize the subtlety of Satan, the need to stand strong and firm on the word of God. We love you, we'll thank you, in Christ's name, amen. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that Put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, the passage is pointing out a reality, not simply a possibility. It's not stating that there may be some, there possibly could be those that would, well, call evil good and good evil. No, it's pointing out the reality of it. And he makes it very clear that this is going to happen, that it's going to take place. And may I say that I'm very concerned in our day and age because I believe this is a very paramount problem. I believe it's extremely normal, it seems, to call evil good and good evil today. It's becoming more prevalent, if you will. And I do believe that as believers, it's important that we recognize the need to stand where we should and not be swayed to stand where we shouldn't. Let me give you a few examples of this problem. You know, this problem of calling evil good and good evil. This problem of putting darkness for light and light for darkness. This problem of calling, uh, you know, uh, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I recently read an article um, just this week, actually. It actually came out on July the 3rd this uh, year. It's, here's the title of the article. Jen Hatmaker celebrates daughter's lesbian identity. Quote, I'm so glad you're gay. That's the title of the article. The article points out that the majority of Christian denominations worldwide adhere to a Bible stance on homosexuality and teach that while it is sin, that believers are commanded to love the sinner. Well, that was the stand that Jen Hatmaker had. Jen Hatmaker is an evangelical Christian author, and up to this point, Uh, A few years ago, she believed that, and she's printed it, and she stated it, but she made headlines just a few years ago for embracing same-sex marriage. Her daughter disclosed that she was grappling with with reconciling her sexuality and her spirituality, that she was struggling with that. And she said that as she read some of her mother's articles, as she was seeking out some information on this issue, she was very disturbed as she read her mother stating that, that, that 
the comments that she had, I should say, about loving the LGBT community but not affirming the lifestyle. Her mother took the position that you need to love the LGBT community but not affirm the lifestyle. This bothered her daughter, and ultimately, discussion pursued. They continued to discuss these issues, and in an interview, Hatmaker said her greatest regret now was speaking against homosexuality. In a recent podcast, she publicly said that she was, quote, glad, unquote, her daughter is lesbian. Now, she goes on to say in this article, I wouldn't change one ounce of who she is, not a molecule, not a moment. The only thing I would change in our story is I wish I could go back and shake myself to life sooner, well, well, well before, she stated. Hatmakers and Sydney argue that love without affirmation is not enough now, meaning that you can love the sinner, but now you have to embrace the sinner. You have to affirm them. You have to acknowledge them and accept not only them, but their behavior, their lifestyle. Handmaker, hatmaker, I should say, concluded by saying this. She said, I'm so glad you're gay. I'm so glad you're free. I'm so glad this is how you were made. I'm thrilled about your future. I already told you about the kind of wife you need to marry. We're talking about an evangelical Christian writer. We're not talking about the world. We're not talking about somebody that doesn't profess Christ. We're not talking about somebody that lives in, in, in darkness. We're talking about somebody that professes to live in light. And yet, in the last few years, they have completely flipped and changed their position on this issue. Now, my heart breaks for Sydney, for sure. It breaks for Sydney, who grew up frustrated and confused. I cannot even imagine growing up feeling the feelings that she's felt. My, my heart also breaks, and I feel so badly for mom. I mean, can you imagine the awkward and difficult position that that places her as a mother? But the article makes an important point when it notes that Christian denominations worldwide, as a whole, adhere to the Bible stance on homosexuality. There is a biblical stance. And that it teaches, in a sense, while it's a sin, believers are commanded to love the sinner. Now again, Hatmaker and Sydney, uh, uh, Mrs. Hatmaker and Sydney, her daughter, argue that love without affirmation is not enough. But you know, can I tell you, you and I and our world would not even be having this discussion 40 years ago. We especially wouldn't be having this discussion within the church. But today we call evil good and good evil, my friends. Today we put darkness for light and light for darkness. We put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And someone says, well, yeah, well there you are again, peddling hate. No, this is not, has nothing to do with hate at all. I'm simply saying we would not even be discussing the issue that we discussed today. We certainly wouldn't be doing it within the context of the local church 50, 40, 40 years ago because it is a biblical position. Again, as, heart, as much as my heart goes out to this family and the difficulties and the tribulation and trials that they must face as a result, my friend, the Bible has not changed. You say, what about other examples? Well, I'm glad you asked. Think about marijuana. 
and the legalization of it. Do you realize that 11 states have legalized marijuana use for adults? We're not talking about medicinal marijuana use. We're talking about recreational use. There is more public support for marijuana, marijuana law reform than ever before. New polls, or at least the polls that were being shown, and again, how accurate they are, I don't know, but the polls are showing more than 50% of the country is in favor of legalizing marijuana. Whether the polls are accurate or not, the trend toward legalization of marijuana is unquestionable. We know it's happening. We know that there's pressure in that direction. The Drug Policy Alliance believes marijuana should be removed from the criminal justice system and regulated like alcohol and tobacco. Now, can I tell you, we would not even be having this discussion 50 years ago. But today, we call evil good and good evil. Yeah, that's what we need. One more controlled substance. That's what we need. One more thing that alters the mind. Yeah, alcohol and drugs haven't destroyed our families, our homes, and our country enough. Well, yeah, well, you know, the illegal use of it is worse than uh, uh, being controlled. Uh, okay, yeah, let's just call evil good and good evil. Let's just go ahead and call, uh, uh, you know, darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Again, I'm just saying these are issues in our culture and our society that we're discussing today that we would not even have discussed 40 years ago or this 50 years ago. What about living together outside of marriage? Today, the vast majority, 66% of married couples have lived together before they walk down the aisle, according to these polls. 66%. Most Americans, 69%, almost 70%, say cohabitation is acceptable even if a couple doesn't plan to get married. You know, younger adults are more likely than older adults to find it acceptable, and that makes sense to us, does it not? Young people are always a little bit more apt to change. They're more, more easily able to change. They're more pliable and, 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 and able to bend a little bit more. We understand that. They're more affected by their culture. They're more affected by the, the things around them than those that have lived longer. So we see here that they are more likely than their older counterparts to find it acceptable for an unmarried couple to live together. But I think you're going to find that the numbers aren't nearly as far apart as we would think. About 8 in 10 young adults age 30, say that cohabitation is acceptable even if a couple doesn't plan to marry, compared to, watch now, 71% of those 30 to 49, 65% of those 50 to 64, and 63% of those 65 and older. older. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems hard to believe, that 63% of people 65 and over see no problem with living together before being married. But that is the, those are the numbers that we're being given. If they're accurate, we're in a real problem here in America, by the way. A narrow majority of Americans, 53%, say that society is better off if couples who want to stay together long-term eventually get married, while 46% say society is just as well off if they decide not to marry at all. Almost half. Here's what gets even more alarming. Roughly two-thirds of adults, 65%, say they favor allowing unmarried couples to enter into legal agreements that would give them the same rights as married couples when it comes to things like health insurance, inheritance, or tax benefits. Now, I don't know about you, but that shows a real shift in our outlook concerning cohabitation. 
Again, this, would, this discussion would be totally, I mean, it would be erased from, we wouldn't even be talking about it in the 1950s. But today we call evil good and good evil. We put darkness for light and light for darkness. And I'm talking about our culture. But sadly, may I say that unfortunately some of these same attitudes are being adopted by those within the pew today. And may I say, it is a difficult thing to go to Jen Hatmaker and say, you, you're going to have to hold to the, your line on this issue, even though your daughter's leaning in that direction. That is a gut-wrenching perspective or, or prospect, I should say. And may I say, it's difficult when our family members choose to cohabitate instead of marry, like the Bible says. And it's difficult to take a stand on those issues as believers. But my friend, I have to remind you, and I must tell you, that whether or not we want to take that stand or not, we must take a stand if we're going to adhere to the Word of God. If we're not going to say that we're not being affected by our culture, if we're not allowing it to redefine what marriage is or redefine what right and wrong is, what good and evil is, what, what, what bitter and sweet is, then we're going to have to stand where God stands. The Ten Commandments. Where once the Ten Commandments had been an anchor of the nation's identity as well as a source of the commonality among us, it's now become the thing of controversy and even rupture in our nation. Over the last 20 years, man, there has been an, 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 I mean a, a, an attack on the Ten Commandments. They represent a symbol of America past now, though. Where once you could drive down the road and once you'd see a monument of the Ten Commandments, you will not see that anymore in our country. It's a symbol of America's past. The influence of Darwinism, liberalism, and political correctness have labeled the Ten Commandments and any other religious symbol counterproductive and even divisive. You imagine the Ten Commandments are divisive. Patrick Henry pointed out that biblical Christianity is not the source of intolerance, but the basis of tolerance. We noted it last week in our message when we said in May of 1765, during his speech to the House of Burgesses, Patrick Henry proclaimed, it cannot be emphasized too clearly and too often that this nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians, not on religion but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, he continues, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. Do you realize what he's saying? He's saying the very fact of the Ten Commandments, the very reality of Christianity is what affords people the opportunity to, to believe how they choose, to worship the God they choose according to their own conscience. Can I ask you, if Muslims were in charge of America and Muslim faith was what we were emphasizing in America, would they permit you to be a Christian? Absolutely not. And may I say today that as believers, we are very tolerant of faith and other religions because we understand that those are things that are personal and every human being has a right to worship according to their conscience. That's what Christianity teaches. Someone says, well, look at the Old Testament and what happened. We're not looking at the Old Testament. We're looking at New Testament Christianity. And there's no place there where me as a Christian has a right to tell you who and how to worship. And so Christianity, by tearing down those Ten Commandments, we've also torn down the freedoms of all Americans because that, those commandments along with the Word of God are what guarantee that we will continue to focus on each 
person's individual rights. God shares a warning here. He says, woe unto them. A warning. As a matter of fact, that warning becomes a curse. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. He actually warns of a curse. I don't know about you, but that ought to really cause us to be very careful that we are not falling into the trap of believing the lies that sometimes are peddled in our world. Question, who or what determines what is right and wrong then? How do we determine what is right or what is wrong? What is good or what is evil? Are there absolutes in the world anymore? I mean, who, who or what determines what, what a word means even? I mean, we have watched in our world as the word cool has changed meanings. I mean, up until Fonzie, cool was simply weather-related. Now it is like all about me, cool. <laughs> you don't believe that, do you? I didn't see anything. The word gay itself has changed meaning. Can I tell you that even the word racism in my life has changed? I mean, every word, all of our cultural words will change with the culture. All the things that we use to communicate in our lives will change with our culture. The sad part is, is that many times we change the meaning of words to fit our narratives. And may I say, since society is constantly changing, the meaning of words will change. And as the meaning of words change, then our belief systems will change. As time and circumstances change, the definitions of terms will change, and that makes for a very volatile and ever-changing social and moral landscape. So as believers, we're given some promises then about our great God. We are told about God in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the same back then as he is now and he forever will be. He is exactly the same. I mean, we talk to our young people and again, we understand their their philosophy. We get why they, they see things the way they do. We were young once. But they look at older people and they say, ah, you're ancient. You, you know, no wonder you believe that way. See, you're, you're intolerant of things. You don't want change. You don't like change. You're old. You just can't. You can't teach a dog, an old dog, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That mentality. But let me tell you what. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that God doesn't understand our culture, that God isn't up with the times. I'm not going to tell you that he's some old man sitting on a throne somewhere, unchangeable because he is incapable of change. No, God could change at any moment, but he chooses not to be changeable. He chooses to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. May I say there are some things about God that are Good like that, and that's one of them, just that he doesn't change. For I am the Lord, he says, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Do you get what he's saying in that passage? He's talking about uh, Jacob or Israel, if you will, and he's saying to them, listen, let me tell you something. If I changed, you would be wiped out because my love for you would change. 
My, my long-suffering towards you would change. My mercy would change. But I'm not. I do not change. I am the same. And the only reason why America today is not wiped off the face of this planet is because God never changes. And he forever is merciful. We are blessed because our God changes not. But hold on. That means his word doesn't change then. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, the Bible says, The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 89, he says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Take your Bible, would you? Turn to the book of Acts, would you? Acts chapter 5, please. In the book of Acts, we note a religious order in a pagan nation that prohibited the preaching of the gospel. They made it a crime to proclaim Jesus Christ, to, to use the name of Christ, to speak of the resurrection of Christ. It was a crime. The culture had deemed, the culture deemed that, that the proclamation of Jesus was indeed a crime against the state. I'm sure that they said, you know what? Matter of fact, to preach the gospel that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again is detrimental to the safety and well-being of our people and a nation. Hold on. Let's see how this pans out, and let's see where it goes. Acts chapter 5, verse 26. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence. Talking about Peter, of course, and his band. For they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, the Jewish council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? So this council, of course, makes a statement, You will not, you will not teach in this name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Watch it now. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now I'm going to say something and you don't have to agree with it. They did not say, we told you, you had to wear a mask in order to preach and proclaim the gospel and you chose not to wear a mask. Therefore, you're going to jail. Therefore, we are going to crucify you. We're going to, we're going to persecute you. It had nothing to do with those things. This had to do with the Lord Jesus Christ and the proclamation of a gospel. They were with, uh, telling them they could not say what God had ordained. And then what was the response? We're going to obey God rather than men. I think we need to keep perspective in, our, in America and we need to keep perspective in the church. There will be battle lines that are drawn in the sand. There will be Areas and, and, and there will be lines that we will, we will stand and take and we will not bend nor will we break. But we better be careful what those are. Let's make sure they're scriptural, they're biblical. Let's make sure that like Daniel, when, when the Bible says that he prayed unto the Lord, uh, they, they said, Daniel, uh, you're not permitted to uh, pray to your God. And Daniel went and did as he had done aforetime. He didn't just begin praying to God whenever the government said he couldn't. He had already been praying to God. And he said, I will not stop because my mandate comes from heaven and I've been obeying God's mandate all along. Let's make sure we're being the Christians we ought to be and that we're putting the authority where it belongs and that's on God. He is the authority. So then they come to a place where they start debating within the council. 
Okay, here are these guys. What are we going to do with them? And a man by the name of Gamaliel, he's a Pharisee, a popular Pharisee, he's well known. He begins by saying, and now I say unto you, verse 38, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. So how do they respond to his advice now? These men said, listen, we're going to obey God rather than men. He says, hold on, before you do anything rash, let's just think this through. If this is of the Lord, then we're going to be fighting against God. But if it's not, it'll come to pass. It'll just end. This too will pass. How'd they respond? Verse 40. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus again. Here's the command. You will not speak in the name of Jesus. You will not proclaim the truth of the word of God. You will not talk about his saving grace. You will not remind people that he died at the hand of his own people, was buried and rose again the third day. You will not preach Jesus, nor will you teach him. And the Bible goes on, verse 41, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Notice what they did not cease doing. Who'd they obey? God. We need to make sure that we do not allow our culture to define what right and wrong is, what good and evil is. They said that preaching and proclaiming the gospel was bad, that it was detrimental to the well-being of the people and their nation and their system of belief and even their pagan beliefs. My friend, I don't care how many times. Can I ask you, what the authority, by the authority of the council, did they have the authority? Did, did, did pagan Rome have the authority to silence the believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Why? How's that possible? How could the highest officials in government in the world not have the right to tell them to shut their mouths concerning Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because the highest authority in heaven said to open your mouth wide and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why. And there may come a day in America where we'll be told to shut our lips and not speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my friend, the question will be then, will you allow the culture to define good and evil, or will you allow God to do it? Because right now it's easy to say, well, yeah, we trust the Lord, we trust the Bible. Just do what the Bible, well, we're doing the best we can. I'm telling you, the culture is redefining what good is and what evil is, what right and wrong is. We need to be very careful that we don't allow that to take place. Because, see, just because a majority of people believe something to be the case doesn't make it true. We have the truth. As a matter of fact, we are warned to adhere to God's word because it is defined as truth in the Bible. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Let me tell you something. America, more than a face mask and more than, more than a vaccine, needs Jesus Christ in their life. That's what they need. Now, they don't recognize that, nor will they acknowledge that, but my friend, biblically and scripturally, they need truth, and they need Jesus Christ. They need light. We have the truth and we have the Bible. 
They can say that Christianity is a detriment on, and a blight on society, but my friend, we know the truth. It is the very good news. It is all there is and the only hope that they have. History always repeats itself. The destruction of one world power may not exactly mirror the downfall of another, but there are, there, there are so many similarities in all of them. You got godliness, the breakdown of the home, immorality, judicial inequality, convenience exalted above character. They all seem to be marks that often kill and destroy a culture. And we see evidence of all of them in ours. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. You and I and our world cannot reject nor neglect the word of God and successfully thrive and survive as a nation. It will not happen. As we remove God's word as the authority in our nation and in our, our churches and in our homes, and it starts in the home, by the way, we often get this backwards. I wish our nation, national leaders would adhere to the word of God. Well, it needs to start in our homes. And as we move away from God and his word, our nation continues to disintegrate piece by piece. And pretty soon we're going to look like a pile of sand on, on, a, on a piece of paper and we see, and it blows away. That is how fragile our nation is becoming. If the powers of Rome could be destroyed because of the immorality and the, and, and the injustice that was found there, my friend, let me tell you, America is not going to be the exception to the rule. I love my nation. And I believe that without the Lord's intervention, we're in real trouble. But it starts with us. It starts in our homes. It starts with our attitude toward God, toward the word of God, toward right and wrong. It's interesting, as we look at America, a Wall Street Journal NBC poll showed that younger generations of Americans have profoundly different values than the preceding generations. When a similar poll was taken in 1998, Americans said hard work, patriotism, religion, and having children were their top priorities. With the, the exception of hard work, things have drastically changed. Patriotism was very important to 70% of Americans in 1998, but only 61% today. Religion was extremely important to 62% in 1998, but just 50% today. Having children was, at the top, was a top priority for 59% of Americans, but only matters to 43% in 2019. I don't know about you, but we see things changing. Change comes in culture, and change comes in our society all the time. But may I say that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? May I say that his word is settled in heaven? Can I remind you again that no matter how much the culture or the society changes, we need to continue to remain firmly on the word of God? It is obvious that the moral fabric of our nation is unraveling especially the diminishing role of religion in the lives of people. This may be hard to believe. And again, I, I'm sorry, I did not fact check this. I really didn't. I meant to, but 
I forgot my laptop that had my message on it at home, so I got my message just moments before the service started this morning. I meant to fact check this. But I heard, and I read this, that Thomas Jefferson once went through his Bible and actually cut out the portions he disagreed with. I heard that. I don't know if that's true or not, but I heard that. You know, we try to do the same thing. We may not literally cut out the pages, but we remove them from our thoughts, we remove them from our lives, we remove them from our person. It's been sad, it's been extremely disturbing for me to watch people rest the scriptures in order to paint a narrative that is unscriptural. Listen, the word Christian has been redefined. The word love has been redefined. The words brother and sister have been redefined. And yet God's word continues to be mankind's only means of eternal abundance. Without him, there is nothing. Obedience to God's word brings blessing. Disobedience brings chastisement and ultimately eternal punishment in hell if we fail to receive Christ. The word of God is never changing. Be careful not to allow the media, mainstream morality, or mankind to redefine the truth. Thy word is truth, he says. Thy word is truth. So there's a couple non-negotiables. Number one, the authority of Scripture. Non-negotiable. The authority of Scripture. This is God's word. It is foundational to every aspect of life. I don't care what your question, what your dilemma is, God has a principle that applies to it. Make the Bible your authority. Allow it to define both faith and practice in your life. Share it with your family, your friends, and others. When social and societal beliefs and positions differ from biblical principle, then let me say God and his word are right. And listen, you're going to be probably accused of, being, uh, of having antisocial behavior. You may possibly be declared an enemy to change. You may be a threat to an emerging or woke America. But I'd rather have the favor of God than man. Listen to me, you better hold to this book. I feel so bad for Jen Hatmaker. I feel so bad for others who are so close to the problems that we face today and the changes that are taking place where it's within families and it creates conflict and even division. And I'm so sad about that. But my friend, let me tell you, one day we are going to stand before God and give an account and it will not be based upon our cultural norm or right and wrong as defined by our society. We will stand before God and give an account based on his book, the word of God. It is the authority. Number two, the obedience to Scripture. Not only must we admit the, uh, the, the authority of Scripture, we must yield obedience to the Scriptures. Fundamental, they are fundamental to every area of life. Proverbs 3 Five through seven says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. The authority of scripture today. Obedience to scripture. 
Are we going to allow culture to define right and wrong, good and evil? It's ever-changing, so there'll never be a constant right. Things, will, things that were right 10 years ago, 20 years ago, will be wrong potentially today, and vice versa. But when we make God's word our authority, and it is the authority, you don't ever have to worry. God's position never changes. You hold to his position. Let God be true, but every man a liar. And then obey it. It's not enough to know it's authoritative. You have to be willing to submit to it and obey it, or it will do you no good. No marriage has ever been saved because they knew what to do. They had to do it. No life has ever been transformed and changed because they knew what needed to be done. It was only when they did it that it changed. And I just want to encourage you as a believer not to allow the culture to define right and wrong, good and evil, sweet and bitter, but allow God's word to do so because it is the authority. Make a decision today to put the Bible ahead of all other opinions and then to obey the word of God without question. And you will succeed. That's what our nation needs to get back to. Because that's the only way that we as a nation will continue to thrive and survive. And that's the only way that you and I will thrive and survive. By allowing his word to be the authority and being obedient to that authority. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the privilege that we have, Lord, to, to have your word at our disposal. A precious book, a perfect book, an inerrant book. And Lord, we thank you that it's not just merely a book that we have, but it is settled in heaven, which means what we hold in our hand is a copy of the original in heaven. And it'll be the very book that we're judged by. Help us, Lord, to be faithful, to obey it as we lift it up as our authority. May you work in our lives, Lord, we need you today. It's so easy to be swayed by our culture, to be moved by public opinion. Lord, help us to stand firmly on the authority of Scripture and walk in obedience to it. Lord, there may be someone here that's lost without Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Or that is a reality. If a person hasn't received and accepted Christ into their life, hasn't acknowledged him as their Savior and Lord, hasn't admitted that they are sinners and without the shed perfect blood, the perfect shed blood of Jesus Christ, they'll never make heaven. Without him taking their place and paying for their sin, they'll never be able to stand before you, a holy God, and live with you forever. Father, I pray, dear God, that if there's any without you, that they would come and say, I need Jesus in my life. And I'm going to trust the, that the Bible's the word of God. And what it says, I'm going to do. I'm going to receive him today. For the believer, may our opinions not be ours, but may they just simply be a reflection of God and his opinion. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. The music plays. Won't you come?